You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we are here to worship you, to bless your holy name. And we come in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that's above every name. We come by your spirit. And God, just as we have worshipped you by opening our mouths and singing to you, Lord, now we want to worship you by opening our ears and our minds and our hearts so that you would speak to us through your word. And so God, we invite you to do that. We invite you to speak through your scripture by the power of your spirit and speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. You can open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Chronicles in chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers can help you out with that. They're coming up and down the aisle right now for people who might not own a Bible. And if that is the case, uh, this is our gift to you. Or if you just left yours at home, you can uh, borrow this one and just leave it on your chair at the table uh, at uh, the back. We're in a series called Trusting God uh, for More. And our our theme verse is Ephesians 3, uh, uh, verse 20 and 21. Let's, let's read this together and let's not read this in the monotone church reading together sort of a way. Let's read this like we believe it. Let's read this like we've been seeing God do this in our church and in our lives. You ready? That doesn't sound like you're ready. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, because we're going to read this like we mean it, okay? So let's read this together. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So we are trusting God for more. That's the verse that, we, that, that was really the foundation for when we started praying about this church nine years ago when we, when we launched back in uh, 2009. This was the, the first passage that we ever preached. And what we have seen is over the last uh, eight or nine years and over the last several months, God has done far more abundantly than all that we could have asked or thought. And the way to truly honor God, the the way to truly worship Him in response to Him doing more is to turn around and, and thank Him, but then also to trust Him, to trust that He will do more. And that's where we find ourselves right now as a church. We are at this this is sort of the countdown's coming, right? Lots of change is happening. We are, Hamo just announced, we're about to have our first service in our new facility on July the 1st. It's coming very quickly, and now is this unique season of prayer and preparation and, and, and getting ready to see what more God will do because he's already done more than we ever could have asked or imagine. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at these different moments in the biblical story where God was calling upon his people to trust him for more. And so we looked at Abraham and how he needed to leave his kindred and his country and go to the promised land. And Abraham needed more faith in that moment. And then we looked at Moses at the burning bush when God was calling him to go and lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses had all of these excuses and all of these reasons why he shouldn't do it. And Moses needed more obedience. 
And then we fast forward it even further to Joshua at, at, at the plains of Moab about to cross over the Jordan and invade the promised land and conquer all of that territory. And Joshua needed more courage. And today we're going to look at David and Solomon and all the people of God when they were about to build the temple of God and Abraham needed faith and Moses needed obedience and Joshua needed courage and in that moment David and Solomon needed generosity and in our situation we're just like we're just like Abraham we need faith we're just like Moses we need obedience we're just like Joshua we need courage and loved ones in the situation the season where we find ourselves in we need generosity and so today's message is all about giving, but ultimately, loved ones, this is a message about worship, because giving is about worship, and worship is about the heart. And what we're going to learn about the heart today is that a heart that loves God is a heart that loves giving. If you have a heart that loves God, then it is only natural for you to have a heart that loves giving. And so David is really going to be our example here, and in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, we're going, to look, we're going to study together a prayer that he prayed. Now, David is a great example for us. If, we're, if worship is about the heart, and if, if we're supposed to give from our heart, from a heart of worship, then David is a good place to look because David was a man of worship, wasn't he? He authored all of those beautiful psalms. So he was a man of worship. And also, think about David's heart. He was a man after God's own heart. And because David was a man of worship, and because he was a man who was after God's own heart, David was a man of immense generosity. And so, earlier in this season as a church, we've been studying uh, the, book of first and second, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel and the life of David. And some of you will remember back on March 11th, we, we learned about David having this desire to build the temple. And it was his intention that he would you know, help finance it and be in charge of all the construction and see the project uh, completed. And David bounced it off uh, one, of, one of the prophets and the prophet said, hey, yeah, thumbs up, good idea. But then that night the prophet had a dream and he had to go back to David and he had to share sort of some bad news. But really the bad news was good news. The bad news was this, that David was not going to be the one to build the temple. But the good news was that one of his offspring was going to build the temple. And that was about Solomon. But then the good news kept getting better. Because he, he said that something was going to be built that was bigger than the temple, that was bigger than the four walls of that building that David wanted to build. That God was in fact going to build something for David. He was going to build this mighty glorious house, this magnificent family tree. And that one of his offspring would ultimately fulfill that, uh, that original blessing promise that God made to Abraham. That through one of David's offering, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And ultimately... That was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of God. And so David had this desire to build this temple, but God told him, no, it has to be Solomon. So now here we are. David uh, is, is old, and he is transferring power to Solomon, and he's, he's encouraging Solomon to get the job done. Before we get to David's prayer, I want to provide a little bit more context. Go to chapter 28 and verse 20. Chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles, verse 20, it says, Then David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what, that's exactly what God told J Joshua. He, God said it to Joshua himself. He said it through Moses. He said it through the people. Be strong and courageous. So what can we learn about that? Just right from the start. 
we can learn that David is a man of worship. David is a man of generosity because David is a man of the word of God. David had obviously devoted his life to studying and applying and living out God's word. So when he comes to this important moment, he doesn't share some advice that he just made up. No, he shares a verse of scripture with his son. He shares the living and active word of God and tells him, be strong and courageous. Here's the other really interesting thing about what's happening. There are some parallels between what is happening in Solomon's life and what was going to happen with Joshua, but, but the situation was quite significant. I mean, Joshua was going to have to fight battles. Solomon was just going to have to deal with contractors. And, and th those were sort of two very different things. A, a construction project was very different from a military campaign. But what do we see David doing here? He's reading the Bible. And he's, even though the situation is different, he's seeing principles that still apply. That in order for Solomon to succeed, he's going to need to be strong and courageous just like Joshua. And isn't, loved ones, isn't that what we've been doing in this series? I mean, I don't know how many times I've had to say that 7755 10th line is not the promised land. And, and let's just be clear, that building is not the temple. Okay, the situation is not the same. But just like David did here, we are reading these stories and we're looking at who is God. And what does it mean to trust him in our situation? Our situation is very different from the situation that they're in. But we are learning from the word of God as we're going through this series. He goes on in verse 20, he says, Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Same thing that was said to Joshua. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until the work for all the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God and with you and in all the work will be every willing man who has skill for any kind of service. Also the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. David is letting Solomon know, hey, this isn't just on you. This is a team effort. And loved ones, our desire as we are heading into this uh, transition, as we think about serving, as we think about giving, as we think about fulfilling the mission that God has given to us, we are talking from front row to back row. We are talking about original core group member from nine years ago and someone who this is your first Sunday with us. We want everyone involved in what God is calling us uh, to do. Now look at chapter 29, verse 1. David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. That's why it's so important. It's not just because of the, the structure of the building. It's because of who the building is for. It's for the Lord. Verse 2, so I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. So David says, and by the way, I've got my own treasure. And notice how he doesn't say, I give from it. He doesn't say, I give out of it or a portion of it. He says, I give it. Everything that David had accumulated 
over his entire lifetime, all of the spoils of victory, all of his salary as a king, all of the gifts from other kings and rulers that he received, he comes to the end of his life and he gives it all to God. Verse 4 tells us what he gave. 3,000 talents of gold. There should be a footnote in your Bible beside the word talents and and see that a a talent weighs about 75 pounds. And so David gave 225,000 pounds of gold on that day. That's a lot of gold. 7,000 talents of refined silver. I'll let you do the math on silver. Uh, For overlaying of the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by my by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Then David says this, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today for the Lord? A consecrating is something we, we tend to only think of in, in terms of priests or uh, sacrifices, but to be consecrated simply means to be uh, prepared, to be ready. In fact, there, there should be a footnote in your ESV Bible showing that to, to consecrate uh, could, could be, in some context, means to have your hands full. Who's ready to give? Who's going to fill their hands and be ready to give in this moment? David says, this is what I gave, and this is what we are calling you to do now. You need to respond. But notice how he says, offer willingly. We'll come back to that in a minute. Verse 6, the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron, way more than what David gave. Verse 8, and whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given, notice that word again, willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Here we see giving, and this is the title of the message. Here we see giving that was done freely, that was done willingly, and that was done joyfully. And our mission today as we dig into this passage is to figure out how How can we give in a way that is done freely and willingly and joyfully? And how do we personally apply this passage? J.D. Greer was so helpful in helping me understand the application of this passage. Here are the people of God looking at their king, King David. And they are looking at what their king chose to give. And then in response to what their king gave, they filled their hands. They consecrated themselves. And they gave. So, how do we apply that? Well, we, we look at our king. We look at King Jesus Christ. And we look at what he gave. And we marvel at his generosity. And then in response, we fill our hands, we consecrate ourselves, and we give. That is the only way to be able to truly give freely, willingly, and joyfully. Giving is about worship, and worship is about the heart. Notice how in verse 9 he says, with a whole heart we have offered freely. And a heart that loves God is a heart that loves to give. So we're not talking about giving because of pressure. We're talking about giving because of privilege. We're not talking about giving as a duty. We're talking about giving as a delight. Giving that is done freely, willingly, and joyfully. 
And now we're going to look at a prayer that David prays as he responds, as he thinks about what he gave. And then when he looks out at all of the, that the people gave, David prays this incredible prayer. And we're going to find three keys, three clues that would help us in giving in this sort of a way. The first one is this. It's theological conviction. David and the people gave from the place of a theological conviction. There were some things that they believed about God. Not just in their mind, but at the very core of their being, they believed some things about God. So, verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. In our culture today, when we think about greatness, who comes to mind? In our culture today, when we think about majesty, in our culture today, when we think about people who have power or people who are experiencing glory, who do we think about? In our culture we think people with glory and power and majesty and greatness. We think about wealthy people. We think about star athletes. We, we, we think about multi-millionaires or billionaires. We think about people who have all of the wealth. We think as a culture that true greatness can only be found in having wealth. That true power can only be found in amassing resources. David's prayer reminds us, no, Greatness does not come from how much money you have. Power does not come from how much wealth you have earned. Greatness and power and majesty and glory, all of those things belong to God. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money you earn or how much money you make. If you want to pursue greatness in your life, the world says the only way to get greatness is to go after wealth. But the Bible tells us the only way to find true greatness True majesty, true glory is to be rightly related to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who rules over everything. And in order to give freely and willingly and joyfully, you must have that theological conviction. You must be set free from the lie that, that tells you so often, it's so pervasive in our culture, the lie that says you need money in order to be great. To be set free from that and to understand, no, greatness comes from how I am relating to the God who alone possesses greatness and majesty and glory. It's a theological conviction. The second part of the conviction, he says, at the end of verse 11, he says, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. They believed from their hearts that everything belonged to God. Everything that you possess is actually possessed by God. And by the way, you belong to God as well. He owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything on earth belongs to God. And the world and those who dwell therein, all of us belong to him. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Job 41, 11, God says, who has first given a gift to me? that I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. It all belongs to God. It's all his personal possession and property. Every private jet 
and every pair of socks. Something only a few people have or think they should have and things that just about everybody has. It all belongs to God. The expensive things, the trivial things. The theological conviction about ownership, that it all belongs to him. Every car in the parking lot right now, every bike or bus pass that God is here, it all belongs to him. Verse 12, he says, both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Verse 13, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. You see, this is interesting. They're the ones giving the gift. Normally the person receiving the gift is the one who says thank you. But the people aren't up here being like, you're welcome. They are coming and they are saying, "Thank." we are giving But we are saying, thank you. We are saying, thank you. Because they they have that theological conviction that everything belongs to him. And they're simply giving back to him what already belongs to him. And so they give thanks. We talked about this last week. About thankfulness is not merely about politeness. It's about power. And that God has given gratitude as this potent weapon in defeating sins in our life like discontentment and worry and pride. The power that flows into our lives when we realize that God has provided everything and we turn and give thanks to him. That's what was happening here. It begins with a theological conviction. And secondly, a personal decision. A personal decision. If you're going to truly give freely and willingly and joyfully to God, you need to make that decision. No one else can make that for you. It's a personal choice. All of the people chose, David didn't give them a number, he didn't give them an amount ahead of time. They each personally made the decision. Look at verse 14. But who am I? And what is my people? See, they know who God is. They know that he's the one who possesses the greatness and the majesty and the glory. They know who God is. But then they say, but who are we? Who are we? And what is my people? That we should be able to thus offer, there's that word, willingly. They all made a choice. Again, here's the theological conviction. For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. Verse 15, for we are strangers before you and sojourners as our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. As we make a personal decision based on theological conviction, we need to remember that life is short. David was coming to the end of his life. He had accumulated all of this gold and he knew he couldn't take any of that gold or silver with him. He knew that his life was like a shadow, that first thing in the morning in your backyard, the shadows seem so big, but as the sun comes up, those shadows shrink, don't they? It's gone before you know it. That's how David understood his life. He calls himself a sojourner. That's a a temporary resident, someone who's just in town for a short period of time. Verse 16, he says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house For your holy name, it's not about their name, it's about God's name. It says, comes from your hand and is all your own. 
I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here freely and joyously giving to you. They had all made a personal decision. And because they had, they gave freely and they gave joyfully. This is the kind of giving that the Bible commands. If you don't want to give, don't give. I just couldn't be more clear. If you don't want to give, don't give. That's, that's God's teaching on generosity, that it needs to be done willingly, not forced. It's a personal decision. When they were collecting an offering for the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 25, this is what God commanded Moses to do. Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man, notice this, whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. God was concerned about the people's hearts. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says, each one must give as he has decided in his, there it is again, in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. No one should be forcing anyone. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. The reason why God loves a cheerful giver is because God is a cheerful giver. And loved ones, if you are here today and you are one of his children, you need to understand that the old has gone and behold, the new has come. That you are indeed a new creation. That you have been adopted into his family. That his spirit lives inside of you. And there is generosity in your heart. You know, I, I, I marvel as my, as my kids get a little bit older, you know, we have four sons and so we just have like these four miniature versions of Ted that are just walking around my house all the time. And I remember we, we just, did, we just did, did haircuts and every time we cut the hair of my oldest son, it always marvels me about how much Ezra looks like my dad. I feel like he looks more like my dad than he looks like me. But then all of our uh, kids that have characteristics of members of Lindsay's family or of Lindsay or of me or of my family, that genetics and, and heredity, these things get passed down physically speaking, don't they? But loved ones, something gets passed down according to spiritual genetics, a according to the, the, the spirit's heredity. That all of us don't bear physical characteristics that, that, that come from our Father, our Heavenly Father. But all of us have spiritual characteristics. We are all chips off the block. The apples have not fallen far from the tree. And all of us, because we are sons and daughters of a generous Father, God has made us generous people. And we are to give from a heart of generosity. A heart that loves God is a heart that loves to give. Gospel. And so we need to understand that. We need to embrace that. That we have been made new. God wants us to give from our heart. 
Looking back at verse 16, it says, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. There's that idea of that theological conviction that it all belongs to God. It's not just that God just dropped wealth into your lap and that's how he provided for you. No, look at Deuteronomy 8, verse, verse 18. It says, you shall, remember that, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, the health and the strength to be able to work, the intelligence to be able to, to, to work, the, the skills and abilities, all everything that enables us to earn wealth, all of those, it's not just the wealth that's a gift from God, but the ability to earn it in the first place comes from him. And so, loved ones, that causes us, as we reflect on that, that everything that we have belongs to God. And even the things that we think we might have earned, the only reason why we've earned them is because God is the one who has made it possible for us to earn wealth. We need, we need to think about and make a personal decision. God is not like the government. He doesn't tax his people. God is not like a company. He doesn't submit an invoice for services rendered. He wants people to give from a heart that loves him. And so thinking about where we are as a church, you need to, as an individual and as a family, sit down and make a personal decision. What does weekly giving look like in this new season for where we are as a church? What does one-time generosity look like as a, as, a, as a thanksgiving offering to how God has provided this facility and the needs that will be there moving forward? It's a personal decision. And then lastly, I want to challenge you with this third thing that we're going to learn from David's prayer, that when we give, we must give with a generational vision. We must give with a vision that's generational. And what we're going to see as David prays, as he brings his prayer to a close, he's going to look back to previous generations, and then he's going to look at the present generation, and then look forward to the future of the present generation and the generations to come. David's generosity flowed out of a generational vision. Let me show you what I mean in verse 18. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers. David is thinking back. Here they are. They're now in the nation, in the capital city, about to build this beautiful building. And they think back to Abraham who was called to this land. And to Isaac and Jacob or Israel who wandered around uh, this land. And how God provided for them and helped them every step along the way. So he was looking back. And so maybe you, maybe you have, a, have a testimony where you can look back at moments in your life where God has come through for you. Maybe, maybe you have a Christian heritage that goes back a few generations and you can think about grandparents or great-grandparents or your parents who have loved the Lord and how God has provided. Maybe you're, the, maybe you're the first Christian in your family. You can think back to moments in your life. We can think, whether you've been coming to this church for a month or for eight years, you can think about times where God has been faithful to us. So he looks back talks about Abraham and Isaac and Israel, 
And then he says, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts to you. He prays for the people. And notice what he prays. He prays for their hearts. Then look at Solomon. Verse, or sorry, look what he says about Solomon in verse 19. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes performing all and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. David prays specifically for the next generation of his family, for Solomon. And notice again, the focus of the prayer is, of, is about the heart. He's praying for their heart. He doesn't pray for their finances. He doesn't pray for generosity in the future. All he cares about is the heart. And I believe David really thought, you know what? All that really matters is the heart. Because Unless their hearts are in the right place, they won't, give in, they won't give anyway. So he prays for their heart. David's concern, he mentions the word heart five times between verse 17 and 19. Heart, 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 heart. That's what he's aiming at. And as, as elders, we want to be really clear to you in this season as we're considering generous giving, as we're considering making sacrifices as we head into this building. Our main concern is for your hearts and for our hearts. Now, it would be disingenuous for me to say that we were completely apathetic and didn't care at all about the bottom line and the numbers and, and hitting our targets or our goals. No, that matters. That's just wise stewardship. But at the end of the day, what we want is for God's people and us ourselves to have hearts that love giving because we love God. That is what we are aiming, that's what David wanted. And that was his generational vision, was that their hearts would be in the right place. It wasn't about the building, it was about the people and where their hearts were. Notice even when he's praying for Solomon. Look at verse 19. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes performing all, and that he may build the palace. David's main concern was that Solomon, not, not just that he'd finish the project, but that his heart would be a heart that would love to obey God's command. David wanted this generational vision. He was going after the heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You are receiving this challenge to give right now because you are being shepherded by people who care about your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, What does it mean for us to give with a generational Vision. What does it mean for us to give looking forward as we, as we transition into this new facility? Well, I want to challenge you. When you think about building, I don't want you to simply think about building as a noun. I want you to think about building as a verb. If you were to look up building in the dictionary, you would see an entry that looks something like this. You see building as a noun. A structure with a roof and walls. But then you'd also see entries that describe building as a, as a verb, as a, as a participle of, of, of a verb. And the verb would be to establish and to develop over a period of time. To increase the size, intensity, and extent of something. 
And so, loved ones, when we're talking about giving to a building, we're not just talking about giving to a building. We're talking about giving to building. Because Christ had promised that he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. And so when we're thinking about giving to a gen, to, with a generational vision, we're not just giving so that our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren would have a roof and four walls. Big deal. We are praying and giving in such a way that our children and grandchildren and great-children would have a tool to help them continue the work of building of increasing and developing and expanding the extent of God's church in this area and to the ends of the earth. That is what we are going after. It starts with the heart and it goes to the next generation and it goes to the farthest corners of the earth. Not just building as a noun, but building as a verb. Ephesians 20, 20 and 21 mentions the next generation. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. We're part of, we're part of the answer to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. We are the, the ongoing generations. And we need to continue to have that vision as we think about all that God is doing forever and ever. Amen. And so, loved ones, I want to challenge you in three areas as you consider your personal decision with a generational vision based on theological conviction. I just want to give you three words to think about. They've all come up so far. Ownership, stewardship, and worship. Firstly, ownership. I mean, this... this, Prayer that David prayed is just filled with reference to, references to the fact that God owns everything. And so we need to be convicted about that. We need to understand what that means. And what that means is that stewardship is really the ultimate principle guiding how we handle our finances. A steward is someone who is responsible for managing someone else's property or someone else's assets. A steward recognizes that they are accountable to the actual owner. They don't own. They are simply managing what belongs to someone else. That is the principle that is at the foundation of how we are to handle our finances. Understanding that that there's ownership and that belongs to God. And that stewardship is our responsibility. And then thirdly, worship needs to be coming from our heart. That Giving is about worship, and worship is about the heart. And a heart that loves God and worships God is a heart that loves giving and worships through giving. Now, the temple was ultimately constructed. Solomon was successful. The resources did come in. But the authors of the New Testament tell us that the the temple... In Solomon's day, it was just like a thumbnail photo that just gave you a vague, broad picture of of a bigger picture that needed to be clicked on and and blown up and expanded. And the temple, which, which was this thumbnail sketch, it was the symbolic presence of God. It was a place where sacrifices were made. It, it, It was a place where priests ministered. And that was just a thumbnail picture, sketch of a greater picture. And the greater picture, loved ones, is Jesus Christ. The, the temple was a, 
was the symbolic presence of God. Jesus was the actual presence of God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And the sacrifices for sin, Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and the priests were just pointing forward to Christ as our ultimate high priest. And really the king who generously gave to, to fund that temple, Christ is the generous king who gave his life so that we could build, be built into a, a temple filled with living stones. And that's why it's absolutely fitting today that we're going to close our service with communion. Because after hearing a message about giving, the, 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 the thing that I want to be most powerfully embedded in your mind today is not the question, how much do I need to give? But to stand in awe of what God has already given. Because Christ, he called himself the temple, but he said, this temple's getting torn down, and three days later, I'm going to build it up again. He referred to himself as the temple and he mentioned his own life as being the sacrifice that would be torn down and that would be built up. And so we're going to take in our hands today, we're going to take in our hands bread, a reminder of God coming to be present among us, that he was here, that he dwelt among us in flesh, and then juice symbolizing his blood, that he shed his blood for us, that he paid that ultimate price. This is what God has given, and this is what we are receiving uh, today. So let's bow our heads as we uh, prepare to share in the Lord's Supper. God, we love you, and we love that you are a generous God who loves to give. And God, we thank you that you gave us your son. We were so undeserving and yet you chose to be merciful you chose to be gracious and you gave your son to come and be the presence of God to come and be that ultimate sacrifice to minister as our priest Lord we love you and we thank you we pray that you would be present here with us as we take these symbols in our hands in the name of Jesus Christ our generous king we pray Amen. Amen. Why one? This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.